So if we don't have another things to talk about, then I guess it's time to talk about Christ, right? I, I, I'm sure everybody has come to hear about Christ. And we have been driving for four hours so that we may come and talk about Christ. And uh, when you hear a message, you guys are going to hear the message. It's going to be, if you have listened to any of my messages, they tend to be on the long side because I teach. I don't want you to assume. I don't assume that you know the gospel. So I assume that you don't know the gospel. So I have to teach. I have to tell you a lot of things about Christ and how God does these things. Because the problem that we have in the church is that we assume to know Jesus and we assume to know the gospel. So people have been in the church for 15, 20, 30 years who have not actually had the gospel and who are yet to believe the gospel. So we can't assume that just because someone has a Bible or they say they go to church, they automatically know the gospel. No, it does not work like that. I will give you an example from First Samuel. I don't have my Bible. I think it's in the car. Could someone open First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1? That's not our text, but I, I just wanted to. First Samuel, I believe First Samuel. Oh, is it First Kings? Let me. Yeah, it's First Kings. First Kings chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The text reads and says, and I think this sounds like the King James. Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. Wherefore his servants said unto him, Let there be sought for my lord the king, a young virgin, and let her stand before the king, and let her cherish him, and let her lie thy, in thy bosom, that my lord the king may get hit. So they sought for a fair damsel throughout all the course of Israel, and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the damsel was very fair, and cherished the king, and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. This young lady ministered to all the needs of the king. She did everything. She cooked for the king. She washed for the king. She ironed for the king. She was even sharing the same bed with the king. But the text says the king knew her not. So it is possible to be around the king, around the things of Christ, but never know him. The king did not know her. It's important that we be known of Christ. And how do we get to be known of Christ? We believe the gospel. That's the only way to be known of the king. And we're going to find that theme again in the text that the Lord has given me to share. So praise the Lord for that. Thank you, brother. Before we go into our teaching, may we go before the Lord to ask for his blessing uh, for the teaching of his word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy presence this evening, Lord, to worship you and praise your name, to thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who accomplished our salvation. And we are just thankful, Lord, that you have revealed him to us by the teaching of your word. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit will help us and help everyone who we have gathered here Lord, to have understanding of what it is that the Spirit testifies of the gospel. 
We pray and we thank you, Lord, for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For our text, we are going to be working our gospel message from the book of Mark. The book of Mark, the fifth chapter. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34. Mark 5, verses 25 to 34. And this is a very familiar story of the woman with the issue of blood. But it's a story that a lot of people only know as the story of the woman who was bleeding. They don't know this story as a gospel story. Because it is a gospel story. Every story in the Bible is a gospel story. We have to ask God to show us what he means by those things. So I'm going to read together with you Mark 5, 25 to 34. And Mark records for us and says, and I'm going to be reading from the New King James. I have the New King James. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The word of the Lord. For those who like titles, I like titles because they help me to organize my teaching. I have a number of titles I probably have the most titles than I have given to a sermon. Number one title is a blood problem. A blood problem. Number two, when Jesus becomes the only option. When Jesus becomes the only option. Number three, a blood problem, the law and the gospel. A blood problem, the law and the gospel. And the final... (laughs) title is the woman the law jesus and the gospel so we're going to be working all those things that are in the title the old testament prefigured the old testament prefigured or pictured the gospel in types and shadows and the arrival of jesus in human flesh fulfilled and realized The gospel. And after the resurrection, the apostles explained the gospel. Do you see the trend? The Old Testament prefigured, it foreshadowed the gospel. Christ comes in the flesh. He realizes, he fulfills, he accomplishes the gospel. The apostles explain the gospel. And so when you are reading 
the healing stories of the Bible, they are not just healing stories. They are not stories for men to have healing ministries. But they were a depiction of the story of salvation. They are a depiction of the human condition and its need of redemption and the sufficiency of Christ in that work of salvation. But before we go into the story, we need to talk to the need of preaching and teaching and believing the gospel. There's one gospel, not as many gospels as they are preachers, as is the case in our modern day world. There's but one gospel, and it is the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace in the accomplished or finished work of Christ. And I pray that is the gospel that we have been hearing, and that's the gospel that we have believed. And this gospel that we preach says Jesus alone is sufficient to save his people from their sins, and he has saved them. And his sufficiency to save them is not judged or is not conditioned on those who are in need of salvation, but of God who appointed Christ to do that work. Do you hear me? And so if we are to understand what God thinks about this work, we ought to listen to what he says about Jesus and what Jesus says about himself. And so the Son of God, Jesus Christ, left us with the testimony that he always pleased the Father. There's no one in the testimony of scriptures who had the testimony that Jesus had, that he always pleased the Father, and the Father was always pleased in the Son. And so the gospel is good news because the Son performed a work that pleased the Father, and the Father accepted that work on behalf of his people. And the Father gave Christ his bride because he finished paying the dowry price, the ransom price for her. Christ accomplished salvation. And so that's the gospel that we are talking about. And in the book of Mark, in this chapter, we have the gospel of Christ. And in this particular chapter, we have three miracles that were recorded for us by Mark. If you were one of those who came to Brother Scott's church, you may have heard the sermon that I shared there from the demoniac. The demoniac and the gospel. If you have not listened to it, I would ask for you to look for it on sermon audio. It should be there. It's a sermon that you may want to hear. But in this chapter of Mark, Jesus performed three healings. He healed the man with a legion of demons. But as he was returning, he was met by Jairus, whose daughter was at the point of death. So this was more like an intermission. But before Jesus could attend to Jairus' request, Mark records another incident of the woman with the issue of blood and says, now we go to our text and we're going to work our text all the way to the end, to the end of this story. 
verse 25 of Mark 5, verse 25 and 26. Mark says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. A certain woman had a flow of blood. She had a hemorrhage. She had a continuous bleeding problem for 12 years. The woman had a bleeding disorder that could not stop or be healed. She probably had problems with her uterus. Maybe she had some non-cancerous fibroids. Or maybe she had problems with a clotting factors. Her blood could not clot. The clotting factors are found in your blood and they are made in the liver. The blood clotting factors are made in the liver. And if the blood clotting factors are not working right, your blood cannot clot. And if you have problems with your liver, you may have difficulty forming a blood clot, making you susceptible to continuous bleeding. And so the woman most likely suffered from anemia and was very weak and fatigued. And this, we are told, went on for 12 years. So Mark tells us and says in verse 26 again, that she had suffered many things. In the light of that, she had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. The woman not only suffered from her disease, but she also suffered many things, many things at the hands of many physicians. <laughs> so it, it, it seems, according to Mark, that her suffering was made worse not only by the condition itself, but from the prescriptions of the physicians. Physicians gave her all kinds of portions. She drank all kinds of plant extractions. She was given some anointing oil to drink. She probably went to many deliverance sessions at the recommendations of the Benny Hens of that time. But listen to this. The text says, she had spent all that she had and was no better. She spent all that she had, all her investment. She sold all her possessions. And yet all her effort did not help to get better. She actually grew worse. Her efforts to make things better made things worse. We are going somewhere. What a desperate situation she found herself in. Trying everything, trying every prescription, changing the prescriptions, but the situation does not improve. It only gets worse. You have gone to the doctor, gone to the witch doctor. You have joined this church and that church and had this anointed water and oil and still nothing changed. And desperate times call for desperate measures. She is throwing the kitchen sink at a situation. So what is that saying about the woman? What is that saying about the woman? To get and appreciate the story, 
and the gospel, we have to understand a number of things. Mark says, the woman had the issue for 12 years, not 9 years, not 13 years. Of all the things that the Holy Spirit would want us to know, he did not tell us the name of the woman. He told us about Jairus, but he did not tell us the name of the woman. He says she had the issue for 12 years. Why 12 years? Thank you. I think that was highlighting the fact that she was a Jew. She was a Jew because when you're reading the Bible, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. So when you're reading the number 12 in the Bible, it's always associated with Israel. She's a Jew. She is a Jew. And what that means is that she was under the law. She was under the law. And this is what the law said about such a one who had a bleeding problem. Let's go together to Leviticus 15. Leviticus 15 verses 19 to 27. And this also is coming from the New King James Moses recorded for us and says, if a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Verse 21, whoever touches her Bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she set on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Verse 23. If anything is on her bed or on anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all, so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days. And every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. Verse 25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, All the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanliness of her impurity. And whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So according to the law, this is very important to understand this story. Otherwise, it just becomes some other story. According to the law, whoever touched this kind of person who had a discharge of blood became unclean And everything that she lied on during her time of impurity, which was 12 years, became unclean. And whoever touched anything that she touched became unclean. She could not sit 
on anything and not make it unclean. She could not touch or be tied without transferring her uncleanliness. Hear me? And what that means is that she could not hug anyone. And she could not be hugged. So for 12 years, she has never hugged anyone. And she has never touched or ever been touched. So she was a very lonely woman. If she had a husband, I think he had already divorced her because of her uncleanliness. If she had children, she could not hug them for 12 years. And the law condemned her as unclean. But what was the point? The point was that she was unclean because of sin and the law condemned her. The law condemned her not because she bled, but because she was a sinner. Hear me? And it is the law that made her helpless. If the law said she could be hugged, she could have been getting her hugs. If the law said she was clean, in spite of a bleeding problem, she may not have had the desperation that she was going through. So her bleeding problem, her bleeding condition was an outward manifestation of an internal spiritual condition. Her bleeding problem was an internal spiritual condition or reality before God, before the law of God. She was a sinner condemned and lacked ability to recover herself. She lacked ability to stop her own bleeding. She had a blood problem and she could use some blood transfusion services. So the woman lacked the ability to stop her own bleeding, her own death. She was going to die and she had to die. What is that saying? It is saying, if nothing is done for the woman, death is sure. And it's going to happen sooner than later. And that is saying, she lacked the ability to justify herself. She lacked the ability to clean herself before God. And you and I are the woman. And we have a blood problem. Our blood is not clean. And we have a bleeding problem. We have no life in our blood outside the life of Christ. We, outside Christ, are bleeding to death. And the law condemns you and I as unclean, as unrighteous. And this is saying all men born in Adam are unclean and they are bleeding to death and they are condemned and have no power to do anything about it. And all efforts of a sinner to cause themselves to stop bleeding are worthless. Works righteousness is worthless. Everything that you, that you lay your hands on to make clean becomes unclean. Everything that you lay your hands on to make clean becomes unclean. Why? Because you have a bleeding problem. Romans 3, 10 to 12. The bleeding problem is telling us of 
the spiritual condition of all men. It's telling us of the spiritual condition of all men. And in Romans 3, 10 to 12, Apostle Paul writes and says, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. And Job would add to that testimony and says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? And he answers and says, no one. (laughs) So there's nothing that you yourself can make clean by your own hands to God's satisfaction. It was impossible for the woman to be clean before the law by her own effort. She could not make herself clean, and so you too are not able to make yourself clean before God. You may have a lot of resources to seek the help of many physicians and use the most expensive soap in the world and bathe in milk and go to the most expensive and sophisticated spas and saloons to make yourself pretty. But that's only pretty before other men, but not before God. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2.22, For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord. (laughs) You may wash yourself. God says you may use much soap to try and remove your own sin, but God says your iniquity is still marked before him. This is teaching us about the spiritual condition of all men before God and their inability to clean themselves up and make themselves right before him. Men have no ability to do anything that is pleasing before God. Men have no ability to believe the gospel. Men have no ability to repent. There's no man who can repent of of themselves. It has never happened before. If anybody told you that you repented of yourself, then they were reading the wrong Bible. In this story, we have many pictures of salvation. But one of the pictures that I'm going to draw a little later is, we have two pictures of salvation. Salvation by works and the consequences of trying to be justified by works and salvation by grace and the consequences of being justified by grace. And the major thrust of the story is to show you that human effort accomplishes nothing with respect to salvation. Why? Because a sinner is like one who has a blood clotting problem and are bleeding to death and have no ability to stop it or rescue themselves. Salvation cannot be God and man. Salvation cannot be God and man working together. Salvation is of the Lord. And that is sovereign grace gospel. The majority of what is called the gospel in the evangelical church is not the gospel. It's a gospel where God and man cooperate to save men. (laughs) Men help God for them to get saved. (laughs) But that's not the gospel. 
It sounds like the gospel. It has some elements of the gospel, but it's not the gospel. God alone in Christ Jesus accomplished salvation. Left to yourself, you and I will keep consulting the many physicians that will take away all our money and still leave us in a worse condition than we were before. And we have a lot of ministries like that. Give us your money <laughs> and God will bless you. <laughs> but there's more to this story. You heard about the condition of man, the spiritual condition of man because of sin. That's point number one. Now we go to the function of the law. Listen to the function of the law in this story. Many professing Christians claim they are still under the law and also they claim to do the law. They actually think that they honor God by doing the law. But thinking that you can do the law and actually doing the law are two totally different things. Many people do not know what the law actually says and so they speak foolishly and say the believer is served to do the law. No, the believer is one who has been delivered from the law. The believer has been delivered from the law. Apostle Paul, you know this very well, he rebuked the Galatian church. He said, you guys are foolish. You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you to turn back to the law from Christ. <laughs> Apostle Paul was a Jew. He understood the law. If anybody, he was the first person to tell us to do the law. But he says to the Galatian church in Galatians 4.21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Basically, if you are translating that in our time, Apostle Paul was saying, what are you all smoking? <laughs> you have to be smoking something to want to go back to Mount Sinai. Why? Because Mount Sinai, it thunders and there's lightning there all the time. Mount Sinai always thunders. And you have to be drunk. You have to have smoked something. A joint. <laughs> Why Apostle Paul? Why is Apostle Paul mad about this? Galatians 3.10. Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Let's read that again. For as many as are of the works of the law, are under the curse. Why? It is written. Cursed is everyone. Who does not continue. In all things. Which are written. In the book of the law. To not just talk about them. But to do them. Because a lot of people are just talking. About the law. But they are not doing the law. But the law says to do them. So if you are under the law. If you claim to be under the law. You are still under the curse of the law. And the curse of the law is death and condemnation. The law says, friends, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book to do them. 
And if you say you are doing the law, you do not have the freedom to pick and choose what you want to do. You become liable to do everything that the law says to do because the law comes as a unit and not in parts. But guess what? If you miss one point, if you miss one point of the law, hear what happens to you. James 2.10. James says, for whoever shall keep the whole law, whoever shall decide to keep the law, whoever shall decide to stand on their own goodness before the law, and yet stumble in one point, not in 20 points, not in 100 points, not in 1,000 points, in one point. He is guilty of all. You are guilty of everything that the law says. And the law had how many rules? About 613. And so you tell me, what is your hope in that? Apostle Paul says, in Galatians 5, 1 to 4, we are priming you to the law because if we don't understand the law, we cannot understand the gospel. We cannot appreciate what Christ accomplished. We can never have assurance of salvation if we don't understand our relationship to the law. We have to understand that legal transaction. And you can tell who is a true gospel preacher by what they tell you about your relationship to the law of God. Because if they say you have things to do under the law, they are also saying Christ did not give the law what the law required. That's what they are saying. But Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, go with me there, I'm going to read four verses, verses 1 to 4. Apostle Paul writes and says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Circumcision is one aspect of the law, and by taking that, you automatically become liable to do the whole law. Verse 3, Apostle Paul says, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You see that? You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. So to be circumcised meant to have confidence in the righteousness of the law, in the righteousness of works, in the righteousness of the flesh. But Paul says, if you want to approach God based on you and your performance before the law and your deeds according to the law, then you have been severed, you have been cut off, you have been estranged from Christ and have fallen from grace as a means of justification before God. Because you are not going to have your leg in works and your leg in grace and then try to approach God on that basis. Apostle Paul says, no, it does not work like that. You either stand on the leg of grace or you stand on the leg of works righteousness. So Apostle Paul is saying, righteousness, if you seek to be right before God, is going to only happen one of two ways. Either by faith or by works, but never both. Never both. It is by using the help of the many physicians 
or coming to Christ. You are going to be laboring under the care of many physicians in their prescriptions. Do this, do that, stop doing this, start doing this. Or you are just coming and holding the garment of Christ. So if the law does not justify, what is the purpose of the law? As sovereign grace believers, we have to know the Bible. That's the only way you're going to win an argument. But we are not just doing this to win arguments. We are doing this to say the truth about Christ. And so we have to know the Bible because it's only the word of God that settles all arguments. If someone does not agree with it, then that's not your problem. It's their problem with God. So we need to be able to point people and say, this is what the word of God says. And so with that in mind, I want to labor a little bit more on the teaching of Apostle Paul on the law. What was the purpose of the law? If the law does not justify, what is the purpose of the law? Is the law for believers or for unbelievers? Because Apostle Paul in Romans 7, 4, he tells us that we die to the law in the death of Christ, that we may be married to him. We die to the law as the husband. There are two husbands. The law is one husband, and Christ is another husband, and you can't be married to both husbands, otherwise you're committing adultery. So we died to the law through the death of Christ, that we may be joined to Christ Jesus. That is the transaction. That is the marriage ceremony that happened. Okay? Galatians 3, 19 to 25. We're going to work these verses and then tie them to the woman. Because all this is happening in the context of the woman. Galatians 3, 19 to 25. Apostle Paul writes and says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. May it never be. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. This is what Apostle Paul is saying. The law is not contrary to God's promises, but it had a particular function. The law had a purpose because righteousness cannot be earned by the law. There's no other way, there's no other principle by which God gives righteousness. It does not exist. There's only one way by which God gives life, forgiveness of sins, and righteousness. It is only by grace in Christ. And that through faith alone. That's the principle by which God gives life. And you can't earn that which God gives freely. You can't earn that which God only gives for free. Hear me. Salvation is given freely or it is not given at all. Salvation is given 100% freely or he does not even give it. Why? Because salvation 
is not about bringing miserable people to have fun in heaven. Salvation is about the glory of Christ. Salvation is about glory. God is in the glory business. McDonald's make french fries and Big Macs. God is in the glory business. So a sinner is saved when they come to Jesus. They come to Jesus not as some other viable option of salvation. A sinner does not come to Jesus as some other viable option. Jesus is not another viable option of salvation. You only come to Jesus when he alone is the only option of salvation. You only come to Jesus when you have exhausted other physicians. When you and your physicians have come to the end of yourselves. That's the only way. You never come to Jesus as option B, not as option C. Only as option A. Apostle Paul says, again, back to the text, Galatians 3, 22 and 23. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under God by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Before faith came, before the seed came, before Christ came, Before the gospel came, God kept man under God by the law, but for another reason. Apostle Paul gives us the reason. He says, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. There was a faith that was going to be revealed in the coming of Christ. So what we see from the teaching of Apostle Paul is that the law had a temporary function. The law had a temporary function. Verse 24. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. You can see that in your text, to bring us is in italics because it's not in the original. It was just supplied to make the sentence sound better so that it makes more sense. But the law was a tutor to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law had a particular function to teach us, to bring us to Christ that we may be justified not by the works of the law, but by the faith in Christ. So the law was a disciplinarian, the tutor. The tutor was a disciplinarian. And the Greek word translated there is pedagogos. P-E-D-A-G-O-G-O-S. The law was a pedagogos to Christ. What does that mean? To understand what Paul is saying, we have to know who a pedagogos was, the tutor. A pedagogos was some person, some disciplinarian person, some teacher of some sort who was hired and employed by rich folk to train and school their sons who would be heirs in things of royalty. In things of royalty. They were 
the sons were schooled to about the age of 14 years, after which they were considered mature and fit to receive their inheritance. And this tutor was not always kind. He was harsh. He was harsh with the child. But it was only for a time until the age of maturity. His services were required until the son had reached the age of maturity and afterwards he was discharged from his function. So in our modern time, the clauses that we have of a pedagogos, unless if you live in England and you have the Prince Charleses of the world, they have those kind of guys. But the clauses that we have is say a babysitter. A babysitter. A babysitter takes care of the child up to a particular age. And I, I, I hope you are not having a babysitter for your 25 year old. <laughs> and once the child is grown, you don't need a babysitter. And so Apostle Paul comes and says, and draws that and says, guess what? That is the same function of the law. The law was given as a babysitter to say, wrong, wrong, unclean, unclean, and everything that you touch becomes unclean is there to reveal your sin. But praise the Lord, the law had a temporary function. It's a very important point that a lot of preachers don't understand. The law had a temporary function as a pedagogos had a temporary function as the babysitter has a temporary function. Let's see if Apostle Paul actually draws that. This is what he says. Verse 25 of Galatians 3. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So who is the tutor? We have to identify who the tutor is. Apostle Paul told us that the law is the tutor. So now that the faith has come, now that the gospel has come, those who have believed are no longer under the tutor. We are no longer under Moses. We are no longer under Mount Sinai. We are no longer under the old covenant. And so the woman, now back to the woman. So the woman has visited all the physicians in town, but to no avail. She has spent all that she had, but her condition did not improve. The woman is at the point of death, and she needs someone to deliver her, or else she dies. More work, more money, more pills, dedicate and rededicate a life to Jesus, walk in the aisle, still no clean conscience, still no assurance of salvation, still no hope. Still no hope. Romans 7, 24. The woman says, through Apostle Paul, Oh, wretched woman that I am. Oh, wretched woman that I am. This has to be a testimony. But she has come to the end of herself. Oh, wretched woman that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Oh, now she understands her problem. Her problem is not what else can I do? A problem is not, what else can you give me to do in the flesh to save myself? Her problem is, she's not looking for another physician. She has already experienced 
all kinds of prescriptions at the hands of many physicians. She is done with that. Her problem is now a who problem. A who problem. Her problem needs a who person. Her problem is so big, it needs a who. And you too. Your bleeding problem, your sin problem is so big that it can only be answered one way. That's what Apostle Paul was saying in Romans 7. He says, my problem is so big, I need a who person to come and deliver me from this body of death. Who shall deliver me from this body of death is the question of the gospel. That's what Christ answers for you. We have to frame the gospel correctly to teach it correctly. The gospel is not about getting cars. It's not about buying a house. The gospel is none of those things. The gospel is who shall deliver me from this body of death because I see myself in such a condition that I can't deliver myself. And Jesus is not good news to the one who still has options, to the one who thinks they can help themselves. But Apostle Paul found his who person. He did. Apostle Paul found his who person and said, verse 25 of Romans 7, I thank God. Oh, what a beautiful place to be. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul, for all the laboring that you have done, is this your answer? That's too short. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's done. He has found his who. (laughs) I thank God Through Jesus Christ our Lord. What do you say Paul? Romans 8, 1 to 4. Apostle Paul says, this is the solution. And this is why he is thanking God. This is why Apostle Paul is thanking God. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You need to be free. You need to be free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, the law could not do something for you. And the very thing that the law could not do was the most needful thing for you. What the law could not do, why in that it was weak? Why and how was the law weak? It was weak through the flesh. It was weak because of you. The law is not the problem. The problem is you. You have a bleeding problem. And until you can stop your own bleeding problem, then you can, you can speak to the law on equal terms. But as for now, the law only can condemn you. But God did what? God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the sending of Christ fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. So if we are preaching the gospel, we are believing the gospel, our gospel has to be Christ fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. That's our gospel. What the law could not do for the woman She found in Christ Jesus. The law was weak through the flesh, through her blood, through her bleeding. The law was weak to cleanse this one who was bleeding to death. 
The law was only designed to bring you and her to the end of yourself that you may run to Christ. If you do not understand that, you will not understand the gospel. You will not understand the gospel. Let us see if the woman with the issue of blood was brought to Jesus by the law. Verse 27 of Mark 5. The text says, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and tied his garment. She heard about Muhammad. No. She heard about the Pope. She heard how they were praying to Mary and going through the rosary. No. She heard about Jesus. When money runs out, when your health runs out, when everything runs out, and have come to the end of yourself, you hear something about Jesus. Because Jesus is only head of after everything has failed. And true repentance is when you see that there's no other option of salvation than Christ. That's true repentance. True repentance is coming to the realization that there's no way you can attain any righteousness acceptable before God. That's true repentance. You can stop going to the bar tonight, but that's not repentance. You still have some other options. You will not hear the gospel as the gospel until you have run out of options. Because the gospel is not gospel to everyone. The gospel is only gospel to the one who hears it as a sinner. To the one who hears it as one who has no options. I have no options. So I love this gospel. (laughs) (laughs) And as long as men have options, they will not come to Christ. If you look at anyone who does not believe in Christ It's only for one thing, is because they think they still have some other option. They think they still have some other option. But the testimony of the Bible is that no man brings themselves to Christ. There's no one who comes to Christ by themselves. Because men naturally have options, but they do have bad options. Options that do not save, but not only that. Men cannot come to Christ because they have no ability to come to him. And men cannot aim in anything about free justification in Christ until they run out of options. <laughs> but they will always aim in money. <laughs> so the text says the woman heard some people talk about Jesus. How he healed the sick. How he healed the blind, the lame, for free. For free, without cost. By just touching. Oh, you got to hear this. She heard how Jesus was going about healing people for free. And, and, And listen to the simplicity of the transaction. By just touching. So she had some good news about Jesus. She had the gospel. The woman heard about Jesus as good news because she had a bleeding problem that she could not help. And you and I would not believe the freeness of grace 
unless we realize that we are bleeding to death. That's the issue that we have to keep hammering. Jesus is good news, my friends. And this woman had the gospel of grace. And she thought she too could be helped. Because apparently, these are the kind of people that Jesus was healing. The gospel is for the spiritually sick, the blind, the lame, and those who can't stop their own bleeding, those who can't stop their own sin. And yet, the gospel that we hear is, you have to stop sinning before you come to Christ. And yet, what we hear is, you can only come to Christ as a sinner. Because if you can stop sinning by yourself, guess what? You don't need Jesus. <laughs> you don't need Jesus. But listen to what happened when she heard about Jesus. Verse 27 to 29. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and tied his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And when she did that, guess what? She was immediately healed. The fountain of her blood was dried up. And she indeed felt in herself, in her body, that she was healed of her affliction. What was that about? The law has led her to Christ. The law condemned her and she has come to Christ and she has heard the gospel. Right? She heard about Jesus. So the law had done its work. It had brought her to Christ. And when she came to Jesus, she touched Jesus' garments and she was healed. The sickness of her blood was imputed on Christ. The sickness of her blood was imputed on Christ, was put on Christ, and in turn, the blood of Christ was imputed on her. We're going to wake it. What are those garments that she touched? Why those garments? The garments are pictures of either righteousness or unrighteousness in the Bible. So if someone had filthy garments, like in the case of Joshua, the high priest in Zechariah. Joshua had on filthy garments that the Lord commanded for them to be removed and be given some clean garments. So those garments, they were filthy. But also in the Bible, we see the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God being talked of in the context of garments. So with respect to Christ... They represent his righteousness. So the unclean woman touched Jesus with her uncleanliness. But Jesus was not defiled by her uncleanliness. She could only defile other people. But Jesus was not defiled. But in turn, in that transaction, she was healed. She was healed, but there's more to the healing. She received the righteousness of Christ. There was a great exchange and a simple exchange because that's the simplicity of the gospel. The woman said, if only I I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Don't miss that. 
That may be my whole message. And I'm very serious. The Holy Spirit knows some things about worth. And he recorded for us and said, the woman said, if only, underline only, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. That's the simplicity of the gospel. It is only by touching and not doing. Only by touching. And we are going to learn shortly that the touching was faith. Faith. Only by faith. You are justified. How does God save sinners? He saves those that only touch his garments. Not those that work. Her touch was light. And yet it was enough to make the transaction. And many will say that was not good enough for her. Many will say she did not repent enough. We did not see her good works. We did not see her tithing. We did not see whatever else they may want to say. (laughs) But that is the gospel that she had. She had the gospel that Jesus heals only by touching. And not only that, for free. For free. Because remember the story. She has spent all her money. And she comes to Jesus. She touches Jesus and for free. And it was good enough for her. Here the gospel transaction. The sin of the woman was imputed. It was accounted to Christ. Christ is already preaching the gospel in all this. He's already doing his work. It is accounted to Christ. Remember, her issue of blood was only a picture of her sinfulness. Sin was the issue. And once her blood had dried up, guess what? Her fountain of sin also had dried up. She had new blood in the person of Christ. She has now been united to the blood of Christ. She had the righteousness of Christ transferred to her. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Apostle Paul says, this the verse that everybody, I believe everybody knows. Apostle Paul writes and says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made God made Christ who knew no sin, Christ who was clean, Christ who was not under the condemnation of sin, he made him to be the one on whom our sins were imputed. They were charged to him that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus was legally charged with the sin of the woman and in return, Jesus gave his righteousness. And that is why Mark said in verse 30, listen to verse 30, and Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? The righteousness of Christ had gone out of him to remove the sin of the woman and to heal her blood problem. Her righteousness problem. That woman was justified Because of Christ. Jesus said. Who touched my clothes? Did he not know? Listen to the disciples mocking him. Verse 31. But his disciples said to him. You see the multitude. Thronging and pressing against you. And you say who touched me? The disciples say Jesus what's wrong with you? 
How are we supposed to know who touched you with all these people who are pressing against you? But Jesus knew who touched him because he knows his ship. The woman did not come to Jesus by herself after all. The woman came to Jesus because the father drew her to Christ. It is God the father who drew the woman to Jesus. Why? Because she belonged to Jesus. She was one of Jesus' ship. Yes, there was a crowd pressing against Jesus, but was not touching Jesus the right way and were never getting saved. Look at the text again. There were people who were pressing against Jesus, who were touching the same clothes of Jesus, but who were never healed. That's election. That's election. The woman came to Jesus because the father drew her to Jesus. She belonged to Jesus. This is about salvation. The crowd that was pressing against Jesus did not know how God saved sinners. They were not of his ship, and so God did not teach them. Jesus said, they shall all be taught of God, and all who are taught of God will come to me. She had been taught of God to go to Christ and touch his garments. And you and I can only come and touch the garments of Jesus only at the instruction of God. If God does not teach you sovereign grace, you are never going to come to Christ by faith. So the woman had the voice of the shepherd and she followed him. The woman had about Jesus. She had about Jesus. She had the voice of the good shepherd and she came. But this crowd, like many in our day, was always around Jesus. There's a huge crowd in the church, always talking about Jesus, always pressing against Jesus, but preventing others from getting close to Jesus. They're getting in the way of others to hear the gospel of grace. And yet they have big churches, they have big edifices, they have a lot of money, and yet they are in the way of the gospel. Always collecting money in the name of Jesus, <laughs> but never telling people anything useful about how God saves sinners. Verse 32 to 34. So you know that we are to the end when we get to the last verse, which means we are almost at the end. Verse 32 to 34, Mark says, And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The woman was obviously very scared of what had just happened. She did not think that she actually could be healed that easily. But Jesus knew who she was because she was given to him by the Father. And how do I know that? It's in the text. Jesus addressed her as daughter. And that is a word of endearment. It's a word of election. It's a word of love. 
And this is the only time in the Bible that Jesus was recorded as having addressed someone by daughter. The only time. Daughter, your faith has made you well. And she fell down before him and worshipped him in fear and trembling. And Jesus did not say, no, 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 don't do that. I am not God. Don't do that. Only worship God. Jesus accepted the worship because he is the son of God. She worshipped him. And in fear and trembling, Jesus said to her, daughter, take it easy. That's calming. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Always pay attention to the words that the Holy Spirit has recorded for us. Jesus did not say, your good works have made you well. Because this was a perfect opportunity to say that. He said, your faith has made you well. Faith makes well. But what is it about faith that makes well? Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. This is how faith makes well. Apostle Paul writes and says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see what faith does. Faith gives access. Faith justifies. It causes you to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that's the only way. So faith makes well because it justifies. And because it justifies, it gives peace with God. You didn't hear me. Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Apostle Paul says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Faith makes well because it alone justifies And because it justifies, it gives peace with God. That's the only way that you're going to have peace with God. Faith. Faith is a gift of God and Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. Of gospel faith. The faith of the gospel is not saying it may rain tomorrow. That is weather forecasting faith. That's not what we are talking about. Gospel faith is a gift of God and Christ is the author and finisher of that faith. And that faith pleases God because it comes from God. And because Jesus is God, it is not a faith that healed her. It is the object of her faith, Jesus who healed her. Because you see, this. An overemphasis of faith. And people say, well, you are not getting healed because you are not exercising enough faith. (laughs) The issue is not faith. The issue is what your faith looks to. Who does it look to? It is the object of faith that is important. Your faith only is as useful as much as who it looks to. If you have faith in me, too bad for you. Too bad. 
if you look to Muhammad or to Allah, <laughs> too bad for you. So what I'm saying, this story is about the two ways of salvation. The two ways of salvation. Salvation by works and salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And both were demonstrated in this story. Before the woman worked so hard and used everything that she had to seek salvation. But she was at the point of death and could not be helped. And then the other way she had about Jesus. Salvation by the hearing of the gospel. Salvation by believing the gospel. The gospel of grace and she was healed. So the question is, which one is your way? Did you hear about Jesus? Or are you still seeking the many physicians? Law obedience. The many physicians is represented by all attempts to be righteous in yourself. Remember these are spiritual matters. So we are not talking about physical healing, but spiritual healing salvation. There's a lot of teaching in a lot of circles that if we are in Christ, we cannot go to the hospitals. We can't go to the doctors to seek help. That's not true. That's not what Jesus is teaching. If we need help, let's go to the doctors. Let's seek medical attention and knowledge that we may be helped. But for salvation, we come to Christ. Salvation, we come to Christ. So what do the scriptures teach? As I close, Romans 4, verse 4 and 5. The conclusion of the whole matter is this. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. This woman before thought salvation was by works. But later she heard about Jesus. She learned of God's grace that salvation is only for those who do not work. But believe on him who justifies the ungodly. When Jesus said to the woman, your faith has made you well. He was saying, your faith has been accounted to you for righteousness. The wellness that Jesus is talking of is the wellness of salvation. You have been justified and now because of that justification, you have peace with God. So daughter, go in peace. The law has no more claim on you to condemn you as unclean. For she was well, she was clean. The law had done its work on her. The law had brought her to Christ and Christ had made the transaction and that transaction did not fail. Christ did not fail when he did his work on the cross. This was one of those gospel transactions recorded for us again. There are many physicians out there who seek to heal you of your bleeding problem and some will prescribe the law for sanctification. Do you hear me? I only have two lines. This is one of the matters that we are dealing with. There are many physicians out there who hold the Bible. And they are prescribing that you can be healed in your sanctification. Some good works. Some acceptance by God by your own effort. 
That Christ somehow only purchased righteousness and justification, but not holiness itself. So holiness is that which Christ left for you to accomplish. But I have bad news for you. If Christ left you one thing to do, you are tossed. You are gone. You are never. If Christ left you one thing, just whatever it is that you want to do, you cannot make it. You won't make it. Christ, praise the Lord, did not leave us anything to accomplish by ourselves. We only believe. We only believe. And that is the hope of the gospel. And that was the gospel mystery of the woman with the issue of blood. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm done. Let us pray. (laughs) Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of the transaction of the gospel. That it is only by faith. It is only by those who do not work, but who come in faith and touch the garments of Jesus, hoping that they will be healed of their bleeding problem. And Lord, we come as your people who still have some signs of bleeding, and sometimes we struggle and wonder if we actually have touched Jesus in a saving way. Sometimes we wonder if Jesus has said to us, daughter, son, go well, your faith has made you well. Sometimes we just don't feel that our touch is that tight. And yet, Lord, it's not because of our touch that we are healed. We are only healed because he is pleased to. So, Lord, we just thank you for this, your message. May you bring understanding to the hearts of your people. May you encourage them. Lord, may you show them the things of Christ. And we pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.